The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Out of the good treasure of the heart, the good person produces good, and out of evil treasure, the evil person produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The Gospel of the Lord. We've had some very dramatic events happen in the world in the last few days. I want to just comment on the Ukraine affair, and particularly in relation to the readings that we've heard, not just today, but in the last couple of weeks regarding the Sermon on the Plain, that radical teaching of Jesus. And just to refresh your memory, because the most difficult part of that sermon was last Sunday. Jesus said, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them in return. Then it goes on to talk about forgiving and so on. Very, very difficult radical teaching. How do we square that with what's happening in the world? Is Jesus a pacifist? This is something that's been debated through the centuries. Is an unjust aggressor simply to have his own way? Are we to lay down like a doormat? Fortunately, the church gives us the catechism, which looks at all these issues and puts them all into perspective. So for example, the catechism says that love towards oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. It is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Moreover, legitimate defense can not only be a right, but a grave duty for someone responsible for another's life, for the common good of the family or the state. And to back all this up, the church has a very developed just war theory. Now, it has very important precursors or principles. You just can't go to war for any reason. First of all, you've got to exhaust all those peaceful means of negotiation before any action is taken. And secondly, the force that you exert has to be in proportion to what is coming against you. And thirdly, there has to be a reasonable means of success. And you can't lead to worse violence. All those conditions bearing in mind No, Jesus is not a pacifist. No, we're not to lay down in the face of an aggressor. 
But our responsibility as Catholics, as Christians, is to pray for peace. And Pope Francis has given us some direction in this regard. He said, I invite everyone to make next March the 2nd, Ash Wednesday, a day of fasting for peace. I encourage believers in a special way to devote themselves to prayer and fasting. May the Queen of Peace preserve the world from the madness of war. So what we've done as a family of parishes is we're going to set aside Ash Wednesday as a time of that prayer and fasting for peace. So we've taken a couple of the churches, St. Joseph for the 9.30 a.m. Mass. After that Mass, there will be adoration till noon, and you can stay and pray for peace in the Ukraine. That's our duty, and that's a very important role that we play. The same thing will happen at Sacred Heart Church after the 7 p.m. Mass. There will be adoration till 9 p.m. So I hope you take advantage of that, and we play our part in this very, very important series of events. Now, for us personally, what do we do when we have an aggressor or someone who is we consider an enemy? How do we square that with this teaching on the Sermon on the Plain that has this very radical teaching? Well, the same principle applies. First of all, we're to make every effort to bring peace, to deal with the person not as an enemy, but potentially as a friend, which means we make every effort for reconciliation, every effort to bring our own peace to the situation and to resist the impulse for revenge or an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, but rather that the conflict may be resolved and reconciliation achieved. And here the golden rule applies, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Now, perhaps an analogy could apply here. In martial arts, there's various forms of it. Some of them are very aggressive. They deal with the enemy straight on and try to defeat them. But there's one particular form called the keto, which takes a different approach. So if an aggressor comes toward the victim, the victim, so long as they're trained in this technique, use the enemy's aggression to throw them off balance. In other words, redirect the opponent's momentum, moving with it, continually frustrating him, absorbing the aggressor's energy. And the purpose is not to kill the enemy, but rather to render them harmless, leaving the enemy realizing they're not going to prevail. So they might as well give in and reconcile. Well, that's what we're called to do on a personal level, to use all avenues to reconcile with the person that we are in conflict with. So that's the difficult part I wanted just to get out of the way at the beginning. Today's reading, though, has to do with the tongue, our speech, because that can be a very forceful enemy as well. And we've been on both sides of this issue, as we all experience. Someone makes derogatory statements about us, or we slander someone else. This is a very slippery slope, and that's why the Sermon on the Plain deals with it. Right at the end of that sermon, Jesus specifically deals with the tongue. If you've been reading the daily Mass readings, especially this past week from the letter of James, he talks about the tongue as a fire, a fire that can destroy easily a whole village, a whole forest. 
And he compares the tongue to a very small part, but powerful, like a rudder on a ship, very small piece of equipment, but it can move the entire ship in any direction, or a bit that you put in a horse, you can control. That's the tongue. Very, very potential, powerful instrument. And especially because with the tongue we can bless the Lord, but also curse our neighbor at the same time. How does the church deal with this? What does the church have to say about proper speech? Well, it really folds it into the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the church says that everyone enjoys, or should at least, the natural right to the honor of his name and reputation. And that applies both to the living and the dead. And we see a lot of that going on in the culture, going back in history and completely demolishing the reputation of particular people. How do we sin against that Eighth Commandment? First of all, there is rash judgment. That would assume as true, without sufficient foundation, the moral fault of a neighbor. Now let's just think about that. Look at social media, what's going on, where people assume the other to be an enemy with all kinds of faults without real knowledge of that and then can bring all kinds of vitriol to bear. And that applies even to Christians because you've got Christians on different sides of issues and now internet, social media allows them to go after each other. It's a real poor witness to the world. That's rash judgment. Another is detraction without validly objective reasons. Disclosing others' faults to someone who didn't know them, even though they're true. And that's another slippery temptation for us, because we can say, well, I spoke the truth. But did you have a right to do that? Did the other person really have to know that, to disclose the faults that you know that are hidden about another person and bring down their reputation? That's a sin. Catechism points that out. Finally, there's calumny or slander, and that is different from detraction because the remarks that harm reputation are actually false, so that's a more serious sin. How do we deal with all of this? Well, to avoid rash judgment and these other offenses, what we should do is be careful to interpret insofar as possible our neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. And this is what the saints tell us. For example, St. Ignatius of Loyola in his spiritual exercises says that every good Christian ought to be more ready to give a favorable interpretation to another's statement than to condemn it. And if he thinks it's a difficult situation, to look at the neighbor and find out what their real intention was, not to assume, but to try to get to understand each other. Now, where is the most important place for us to practice good speech? Right in the family. Because it's in the family where we can really tear each other down. Spouses can speak to one another in a very derogatory way, or parents to children, siblings, and the family can be torn apart. Divorce, separation, real pain. Speech is very important. How do we use our tongue? Build each other up. Speak words of encouragement, affirmation, gratitude, peace. Give compliments, especially to those who we may have previously slandered. So let's have more of 
Did you see how holy she was when she helped that person? What a beautiful family they are. I appreciated the way I was greeted at Mass today. Positive statements, statements of encouragement. That's what we're called to do. It brings peace to a community. Now, we're going to enter Lent this week. Perhaps, as you know, there's those three disciplines in Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Let's fast from criticism and slander and gossip. As far as almsgiving, let's speak words of encouragement. And for prayer, pray for one another, especially enemies. When we practice this, it's such a witness to the new evangelization because the world is immersed in critical derogatory speech, enemy upon enemy. But when they see us and the way that we speak and act, it really does make them stop and wonder, what is different about that person? I love what they're doing. And they're in. And that's how the Christians won the Roman Empire. Finally, Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. That's why it's so important to praise the Lord, which is what our responsorial psalm from 92 says. Lord, it is good to give thanks to you. It is good to praise your name. Why? Because as we praise the name of the Lord, the Lord then builds us up. Hearing those words of praise and worship, it redounds back into our heart, and our hearts are now more in conformity with God, with Christ. And we now can speak those words and act them out. So with that, let us give thanks to the Lord and remember the most scary verse in all of the Bible from Luke 12. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Everything you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private shall be proclaimed from the rooftops. That's from Christ himself talking about the last judgment. So let's be careful about how we speak and let us ask the Lord to heal that area of our hearts. We may bring peace and pray for peace in the Ukraine.